Coming up this time, when Brian met Greavesy. It was just wonderful to listen to two old friends chewing over past times and both being very honest and frank with each other. It was almost a competition between the two of them who, who, who could get the first word in. Yes. And Cluffy, of course, won that. And not forgetting when Frank Sinatra met Cluffy. When Cluffy and I used to talk, we used to spend most of our time talking about um, Sinatra songs and Muhammad Ali, who was another one he idolised. He said uh, he was surrounded by bodyguards, but Frank had been told what I'd done in football and uh, he was very keen on sport. And he said in the conversation switch from, from Frank singing to boxing. There's a musical tribute for Cluffy's favourite commentator. And Brian comes in carrying the presentation thing and he's singing the Frank Sinatra song, You're the Top. It, it makes great television. We've got two minutes of Brian Clough serenading Brian Moore. And how a star signing was told to get the kettle on. He said, hey, come and meet the world's greatest goalkeeper. And then he shouted through the door, once we're all in position, children, tea for five. He'd reduce, he reduced the world's greatest goalkeeper to a tea boy. All that and a whole collection of other Cluffy stories over the next 30 minutes. All the lads I worked with are still my friends. And I never picked up a paper and read where Cluffy was this and Cluffy was that. Nobody ever gives me any stick. They couldn't, because I was their best friend as well. You're listening to the Green Jumper podcast with myself, Marcus Alton, the editor of brianclough.com. And my guest today is a former Fleet Street journalist who's worked with many of the big names in sport, including Brian Clough. He's played a key role behind the scenes in countless TV programmes over the years and is now a successful author of more than 100 books, the latest being the official biography of a footballing legend who Cluffy described as a genius, and that was Jimmy Greaves. I'm delighted to say hello to Norman Giller. Hello there, Marcus, and uh, can I first of all say that it's a pleasure to be speaking to you and your Green Jumper followers, and, uh, and I'm particularly pleased to be brought to you by the remembering two of my favourite people, Cluffy and Greasy. David of St. Greasy before St. Greasy, if, if you can follow me. Yes, of course. Yeah, and, and I know Greavesy and Cluffy were rivals, I think, as players, but they always had great respect for each other, didn't they? Not, not only great respect, great friendship. Um, I mean, they, they, they played together twice for England back in 1959, which is when I first met them. This was, um, or first when I first went to Cluffy, this was at uh, the Roehampton training ground that uh, the England team used under the then manager, Walter Winterbottom. Yes. And um, the Brian Clough I met back then was nothing like the Brian who later became a legend in his own lifetime. He was um, a quiet guy, wanted to take a back seat because he felt overall being with the likes of Bobby Charlton and Jimmy Greaves two players who he idolised. Wow, you can't imagine uh, Brian Clough being shy and retiring, no, can no, you? He was. He, was, he had a, a teammate, uh, they were both from Middlesbrough, called Edwin Holiday, who was um, a winger. 
and they were both making their debut for England against Wales. And um, Edwin was the was the character of the two of them. He was the one you thought, oh, he'd he'd make a good television personality. <laughs> but it was Cluffy who was who came to, of course, as one of the the forces of nature. <laughs> he became uh, as big as legend as Robin Hood uh, in Nottingham, where you are now. That's right. And I know they shared lots of laughs in in later years when Jimmy was uh, winning a whole new generation of fans, really, as part of the Saint and Greavesy TV partnership. And uh, and Brian was often interviewed as part of that, wasn't he? Well, um, when Jimmy first um, went into broadcasting, um, he'd recently conquered um, his drinking problem, Mm. which is a miracle in itself, because um, he had been lost to the bottle for five years. But he he made it known that he was um, becoming a columnist with the Sun, and uh, the first very first call he got at home was from Cluffy, who insisted that Jimmy get on the next train up to Nottingham, and he would give him for for now, as Cluffy would say, uh, an interview, which was a big thing then because uh, Cluffy was so in demand. And uh, so Jimmy and I, me armed with a tape recorder, we went up to Nottingham and sat down in Brian's office while Jimmy and and Cluffy um, reminisced. And uh, I I would have paid to be be the man taping it. I was a very lucky boy. That must have been really special to be between those two legends of the game as they... uh, as they talked things over, uh, were you were, were you nervous? Um, no, no, no. I wasn't at all nervous. I, I was, I was, I was um, very, very much the third man mm. in the interview, keeping in the background, and um, it was just wonderful to listen to two old friends chewing over past times, and both being very honest and frank with each other. I mean, I, when it came to um, transposing the the tape i had to cut, cut out um quite a few of the uh more colorful words <laughs> i bet you did they both dropped the f-bomb very often yes yes i bet you couldn't shut them up could you i bet they could have talked all day well it, it was almost a competition between the two of them who, who, who could get the first word in yes and Fluffy, of course won that <laughs> but um the, the point i want to underline is that mm. there was Ryan, who was who just won two European back-to-back champion European Championship, and uh, he was giving Jimmy this interview purely to help him up, give him a leg up into his new career as a broadcaster, and um, it just shows the generosity of spirit of Cluffy. Certainly did, didn't it? And uh, I know he always sort of had a friendly dig with uh, Jimmy Greaves on the fact that he scored the fastest 250 football league goals. He used to like to boast. Uh, and I think I think Jimmy would always say, oh, not that chestnut again. No, no, Jimmy would bow the knee to, to Cluffy as a goal scorer. Yes. But he would also quietly point out that most of his were in the second division where every one of Jimmy's 357 goals were in the first division. Yes. Which is a record that will never be beaten because that division's gone now. And that, as you said, they played together for England, but Clough certainly said that Sir Walter Winterbottom couldn't get the best out of them all together because they no, played... No, it, it, 
it, it didn't work because um, they were both instinctive players and mm. instinctively went into the same position for, for crosses mm. and uh, they were continually getting in each other's way. Cluffy told a funny story about the match against Sweden. The first match was drawn 1-1 against Wales and 11 days later, Walter Winterbottom decided to have one more go and uh, they played against Sweden at Wembley and um, they lost that match 3-2. And the, uh, at one stage in the game, the ball hit the underside of the bar and came down onto the goal line and Cluffy, trying to reach the ball, fell over and found himself sitting on the ball. And he said, I was on the bloody ball so long, it was a wonder I didn't hatch the bloody thing. And he couldn't get the ball into the net. Oh. He just sat in it. Yes. <laughs> he didn't have a great deal of luck, um, which you do need uh, as, as an England player. But um, I think from a personal point of view, uh, Cluffy wrote in his autobiography how he admired Jimmy for the way he'd overcome his drink problem, which really was a turning point, wasn't it? Well, um, I was lucky to be very, very close to Jimmy right from there when we were both 17 years old. And so I saw him go into that slow descent into alcoholism. And like most people who, who were close to him, we thought there's no way was he going to beat it. But um, he had the character to overcome it. And um, many years later, he was able to help Brian overcome a similar problem. And... Uh, it showed the rapport between the two men that Brian respected Jimmy enough to follow his advice. And he, he also overcame a, a drink problem, as we all know. I know when I was campaigning to get Cluffy a knighthood, Greavesy dedicated one of his newspaper columns to supporting the idea. Uh, and when you consider that the likes of Sir Alex Ferguson wouldn't support it, it really was a significant boost uh, to get that, that backing. Greaves, he still thought a lot of his old friend, didn't he? Jimmy would have put Cluffy in the House of Lords. He, th mm. he thought he should have been running English football. Yeah. But um, the FA were frightened of Brian, um, quite rightly, because they, they, they thought, well, if, if we appoint Brian Cluffy, he's going to try to run the FA. And too right he would have done. And he would have sorted the FA out. And um, but Brian had this great idea of tackling football from the grassroots which is what they're talking about now with the lionesses, you know, to mm. get to the kids. And this was going to be Cluffy's idea. But of course, the FA were too frightened of him. So, he, But he, he was going to ch change the FA from top to bottom. And uh, his main idea was to bring through the youth of the country. But uh, sadly, he was never ever given the opportunity. No, no, that's right. The best manager England never had... Uh... Brian was, was his own worst enemy because he was he was so he was so outspoken. Um, he he need, he needed to have had um, some sort of interior mechanism that could have stopped him talking. It because if if he, if he could have held back some of his opinions, yes. he wouldn't have frightened the top brass. Um, but 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 Brian, you know, <laughs> loved loved to make people know exactly what he, what he felt. Sometimes it, it hurt people's feelings. Well, you interviewed Brian, I think, when he became Derby manager um, back in the, the late 60s. Uh, what, what was that like? Well, I was privileged to be the first one to interview him, and it was a pure accident because there was um, a legend of a football reporter called Alan Williams was the, the 
his Daily Express King of the Midlands, but he just happened to be on holiday the week that Cluffy arrived from Hartlepool to take over at Derby. And so I was sent up from London to interview him. And uh, when I arrived at the baseball ground, Ryan was just leading all the players onto a coach and they were going off on a pre-season tour. And so my first interview with Brian, he said, here, get on the court, lad. Come on, I'll, I'll, I'll let you talk. Come on, I wouldn't let you come all the way from London and uh, not go, get something. Brilliant. And so there I was in, in, in the stadium on, on the coach, talking to Cluffy on the way to the airport. And that was the first interview he ever gave. And I remember a wonderful phrase of his was, I'm going to give Derby, he said, a, a little bit of am, amnesia and a lot of ambition. He said, amnesia, because I don't want anybody, anybody talking about their bloody past. I've had enough. I don't care about what Jackie Stamps did. <laughs> but I, I, I want to know what, what my team's going to do next week, not Jackie Stamps, bloody 30 years ago. Yes. He said, and so that's, that's the amnesia. He said, but we're also going to be a club with lots of ambition. And I thought, what a line, you know, mix, mixing up with amnesia and ambition. And, uh, and, that, and that was my, my very first interview with him. Ryan Clough is going to get, get rid of your memories of the good days and he's going to bring golden days to, to the baseball ground. And he certainly did that. You've described Cloughier as, as God's gift to, to journalists. And, and that turn of phrase you've just mentioned there, amnesia and am, ambition, it really did help give, give journalists the lines that they wanted, didn't it? Oh, dear. Hey, I mean... If you went to Cluffy with an empty notebook, by the time you'd finished listening to him, not talking to him, listening to him, you had a full notebook, and he never, ever left you without a line. And uh, he had this instinctive way, almost like he was as a player. He, he knew exactly when to strike, and he would give you the line that he knew would make the headlines the next day. He was a master at it. Obviously, his man management was, was outstanding as well, wasn't it? Well, I remember when he signed Peter Shilton um, and he called, he called uh, oh, it wasn't just me, about five pressmen into the office. He said, hey, come and meet the world's greatest goalkeeper. And then he shouted through the door, once we're all in position, ready to take notes, shout through the door, children, tea for five. Do you have sugar, lad? Right, sugar, milk, sugar. Four, four with sugar, two without. And Schultz comes in carrying carrying cups of tea. <laughs> He'd reduce you reduce the world's greatest goalkeeper to a tea boy. Yes, it, it was that knack of um, keeping certain players' feet firmly on the ground, wasn't it? Really, and um, I think he did that with uh, Trevor Francis uh, as well when he signed. You know what was billed as the first million-pound player. And, yeah, um, I mean that, 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 that if doesn't stand close examination because it, it was only after they added that. Even so, he, he could definitely claim to be the first million million pound footballer, and uh, but he was always in awe of of Cluffy, and, and Cluffy made sure that he kept his feet to the ground. Trevor was a Jimmy Greaves of his time, you know, at his peak. Another key signing, of course, uh, and and this goes to the back to the Derby days was Dave Mackay, who he got from from Spurs, and it was Spurs well, manager Bill Nicholson at the time, I think. Um, but but he pulled off oh, a masterstroke there. That Dave was all set to return to Hearts as player manager. Mm. And that's how he's going to wind down his career. And and Cluff Cluffy's arrived, been given permission to talk talk to Dave. He's taken over Bill Nicholson's office. 
Ned Stage come in, he, he stood up corner and, and locked the door. He said, you're not going to leave here until you sign a piece of paper that says you're my player. You're going to play for Derby County. And sure enough, after an hour, um, very clever negotiating because um, Dave McCoy was very shrewd, of course, and uh, he squeezed every penny he could out of it. And he finished up, he, he gave him um, a column in the, the programme for which he was paying more money than he was paying any other first-team player. That, that was before his wages. Yes. So Clough, Clough was very clever the way he signed Dave. But where where Dave was, um, he couldn't believe it. He was being told that you're not going to play your buccaneering role that you've done for ten great years at Spurs. You're going to play in defence, and I've got a young lad coming along called Roy McFarland. You're going to teach him how to play the game, and he played Dave alongside him, saving his legs, which which were really wonky at the time. And uh, and Dave spent a season and a half showing Roy, you know, the art of positional play. And uh, Roy became one of Europe's great centre-halves. And Dave saw out his career by, by winning the, the, the uh, promotion to First Division. Yes, yeah. But, but, it, but it, was, it was Cluffy who was the mastermind because he, he saw in Dave, he knew that his legs had gone, but he knew that his brain was in, intact. And they used that brain power to get Derby back into the first division. Yeah, it was it was absolutely inspired, really. Now you also worked on, on a tribute to Cluffy's favourite commentator, Brian Moore, and and I think that TV program actually took you to uh, Cluffy's house for some filming. Brian was coming up to his retirement from ITV, and this was going to be a swan song, and we went into Brian's house, and. Um, this is Cluffy's house, um, along with his lovely wife, who's we sat there politely giving us tea. This is just in in their lounge. There was Brian Clough, Brian Moore, and our producer director, also Top Gear director Brian Klein. So in the space of what about ten square yards, I've got three Brians that I'm trying to interview, <laughs> and uh, I mean it was it was hilarious. Then the number of times you've got Brian wrong. And in the mid, middle of it all, Brian starts, um, puts on a Sinatra record and he, he sings along with Sinatra and, and telling us all all about his experiences of having met, and met the great man. And later that day, we were sitting in Brian's garden uh, without Brian Moore knowing. I'd organised for a presentation by Cluffy to Brian Moore to mark his 30 years at the microphone with ITV. And um, Brian's disappeared behind a hedge. <laughs> and there's Brian Moore sitting, introduced, bring, bringing Brian Clough in for for final word on, on, on uh, my ITV career. Here's my great friend, Brian Clough. And Brian comes in carrying the presentation thing. It was, it was an autographed uh, cartoon of Brian, Brian Moore. So he's, he's come in. And he's singing from the night before the Brian, the Frank Sinatra song, You're the Top. And this is all on camera. And he's saying, you're the top, you're the Coliseum. <laughs> and he's standing on Moore's lap. Oh. <laughs> Brian's completely confused. And uh, it, it makes great television. We've got two minutes of Brian Clough serenading Brian Moore. Fantastic. Wonderful. 
Fantastic. And I'm sure you appreciated Cluffy's love of Sinatra as well, because you were involved in the uh, Sinatra Appreciation Society, weren't you? I was. Sinatra is number one for me as well, so Brian and I had that in common. In fact, when, when Cluffy and I used to talk, we used to spend most of our time talking about um, the um, Sinatra songs and Muhammad Ali, who was another one he idolised. Did he ever talk about when he met Sinatra? Um, yes, um, he, he said uh, he was surrounded by bodyguards, but Frank had been told what I'd done in football, and uh, he was very keen on sport. And he said, in the conversation, switch from from Frank singing to boxing because um, uh, I don't know if you know um, Frank Sinatra was a, a boxing fanatic. Oh yeah, he managed a fighter called Tammy Moriello, who was one one of the bums of the month in the Joe Louis years. So, so Frank really was close to boxing. But Brian said, he said, I wanted to talk recording, you know, yeah. how, how he used to record his songs. He wanted to talk boxing. So he had a frustrating conversation. <laughs> with Going back to Brian Moore, you saw Brian Clough again at Brian Moore's funeral. Yes, um, I was privileged to give the um, the eulogy for, for Brian Moore in, in a packed church in Kent. And there was a big overspill audience, and we had hundreds of people outside listening to it being broadcast. And um, Brian Clough had been very ill, and uh, so we didn't expect to see him. And uh, I'm halfway through my eulogy, and I've looked down, and there are those very famous old George Robey's sort of um, eyebrows looking up at me. And Cluffy had made it, and, and I managed to ad lib, you know, how. Yeah. Thrill Brian would more would be to think that his closest friend Cluffy has made it here for the funeral, and people actually in the middle of my eulogy, people applauded Cluffy for being there because he was a very sick man at the time. After we'd finished, we'd, we'd met outside the church and we'd hugged each other, <clears throat> and Cluffy said, "Very, <clears throat> very nice, very nice tribute, young man." He said, "But." If I had been doing it, he said, I would have sung, you're the tops. <laughs> yes, and I bet he would have done as well. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Talking of music, didn't Jimmy Greaves take the mickey out of your piano playing? <laughs> You've done your homework. <laughs> <laughs> That's not not a difficult thing to do if you could him. <laughs> but but um, Jim, I always remember that um, he and I were in, in Wrexham doing an after-dinner and I was introduced to him. And um, that evening, we, we stayed uh, overnight at a private house where the daughter was a, a grade eight classical pianist, and she's playing away. And, and Jimmy's interrupting. He said, it, it, can Norman have a go? He said, he, he, does, a, he does a great bye-bye um, blackbird. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't sound particularly funny now, but I mean, it, yeah. it, was, it was funny and also humiliating. Yes, yes. <laughs> Like the pub pianist. My dad was a pub pianist in the East End, and, yeah. I, and, and I've taken after him. Yes. Oh. Coming back to Spurs, you've written lots of books about the club over the years. Now, now winning the FA Cup in 91, of course, meant the dream of Cluffy winning that elusive trophy never came true. Do you think if Cluffy had won the FA Cup then that he'd have retired? Um, I think so. I think that that, that was the one um, trophy that always eluded him. 
Um, but, but remarkably on that day, when, um, as you know, went to extra time, mm. and Cluffy spent the whole of the extra time period not talking to his players, but talking to a young policeman, a, a young constable who was on duty at Wembley. Afterwards, we asked Ryan, you know, what, why didn't you G out the players ready for the fun? He said, they're professional footballers. If they don't know how they're playing now, I'm not going to bloody tell them how to play football in, in two minutes. He said, and that young man, that, that young policeman, he said, what an interesting life he had. That was the Gaza game, as we remember. It was, of course, yes. Gaza came on, um, he was so, so het up and uh, he was stoked up. Yeah. He got in such a state, he, he, he went flying into crazy tackles yeah and of yeah. course uh, was it charles he, he, he tackled yes and yes then, yeah it was gary parker yeah. and then gary charles yeah yeah gary charles but the tackle on gary charles he, he he did his knee yeah and he had you to go to lazio for five million no for 10 million pounds which was going to get top them out of trouble because they're on the brink of bankruptcy at the time mm. and because of the injury of course he, he's on the sidelines for for nearly a whole season and then when he finally went to the Lazio, he actually went there for five million. So it cut the fee in half. We, we've spoken to the former FIFA referee, Keith Hackett, on, on the podcast previously. And um, I asked him if he thought Gaza should have been sent off uh, at the time. And he said, yes, yes, without without doubt. How, how do you feel about it looking back? Do you think there should have been a red card there? Without question. I mean, if, if he hadn't have been so badly injured, I think the red card would have come up. Yeah, but the referee almost felt, you know, I can't send the poor lad off as well. Gaza tried to get up, he couldn't walk, and it put him out of the game for nearly a year. You you think back to to ninety one, I mean, both both clubs were at their peak, mm. and the way they both, yeah. <laughs> I mean, to suppose one in the silverware sense, not anything of note, and um, and Forrest, of course, went into a nosedive. Yes. Thank, thank goodness it looks as though they're, they're, they're coming back. We hope so. Now yeah. Forest are in the top flight. Do you, do you think they stand a good chance of, of staying up? Um, I'm, I'm convinced that they will. Um, I, I, I think there's, there's a new feeling, with not only within the club, but within football, that Forest are back where they belong. And uh, I'll, I'll be amazed if they're, if they're not in the top half of the table at the end of the season. And Spurs, um, Conte... He's instilled new confidence, um, not only in in the dressing room, but among the the, the spectators. You know, there's there's a n- new mood of optimism, and uh, we've got this fantastic stadium now, and, and we could have a team that's fit to play in it. And uh, I think that uh, Kane and Son together are, are going to, um, I think, they'll dismantle most defences out of a, a springboard of deep defence. We, we break up speed and it's very difficult to stop Kane and Son when they're really motoring. Yeah. What do you think Cluffy would have made of uh, Forrest's return to the top flight? That bloody time. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, Brian had uh, East Midlands in his blood, you know, a man, a man from, from Yorkshire. Yeah. But uh, he's very much an East Midlands man. Well, it... He wouldn't be too uh, impressed with Derby going down either, would he? Really, um, and the way that's well, um, that's not, gone. Not only, not only going down, the, the way they were run. How will you remember Brian Clough? And these are the words that come to mind when I think of Brian Clough. Yeah, dynamic, driving, single-minded, 
perceptive, inspiring, controversial, stubborn, ruthless, courageous, energetic, tough, ambitious, egotistical, and let me add, he was also a warm, kind, and generous man. And uh, I, I will remember Brian with great fondness, and uh, not only as a, a great man of the beautiful game, but as, as, a, as a great human being who did so much very quietly for charity and the people down on their luck. Brian was always the first to offer a helping hand, quietly. People thought he was bombastic, which he could be, but he did a lot of things quietly that didn't make the headlines. And uh, that was the real Brian Clough and the Brian Clough that I want to remember. That's a wonderful tribute. Can I just add, Marcus, he could not play the game. <laughs> he, <laughs> he, he was um, not, not a skillful footballer, but he'd run through brick walls and ne- never was there a lost cause. You know, if, if, that, if that ball was still alive, he was chasing it. And uh, defenders hated playing against him. He was absolutely incredible, wasn't he, as a, as a striker for both Middlesbrough and then Sunderland? Brian was one of the few who matched Jimmy Greaves on the scoring ratio. And they didn't have Jimmy's skill, and Brian would have been the first to admit that. But what he had was a, a determination that came from the gods. I mean, while a ball was live, Cluffy thought he could put it into the net. And his goal-scoring record with both Middlesbrough and then Sunderland was extraordinary. And if it hadn't been for his injury, he would have um, been up there with Greavesy with at least 350 goals, I would have thought. And then on the other side of the coin, he perhaps wouldn't have gone into management so quickly and um, and learned his trade at Hartlepool, uh, I guess. No, well, when he and Peter Taylor were at Hartlepool, I mean, he, he was uh, almost a boy wonder of a manager, wasn't he? And he had revolutionary ideas then that he brought to Derby, then took them to Forest. And, and what a record the man had. I mean, for, for Nottingham Forest to have won back-to-back European Cups was, was unbelievable. And it's, it's one of the greatest achievements ever in English football. Hear, hear. Well, there are more details about your um, book on Jimmy Greaves in the show notes for this episode and, and how uh, people are able to, to buy a copy. Norman Giller, thanks so much for joining us today and sharing your memories. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, and keep wearing that green jumper with pride. All the best. Have a good season and enjoy football in that the World Cup in that football hotbed of Qatar. Oh, yes. I would love to heard Cluffy on that subject. <laughs> yes. Qatar? Can... Bloody Qatar? Can you imagine? <laughs> I don't think he'd be impressed somehow. Th- thanks again and uh, take Bye-bye. care. Bye. Thank you. And if you're interested in finding out more about Norman's books, including signed copies of the book The One and Only Jimmy Greaves, it's an easy website to remember. Just visit normangillerbooks.com. And the details are also mentioned in the show notes for this episode. And of course, for Brian Clough tribute books and other items helping the types of good causes that Cluffy supported, there's always the tribute website brianclough.com and I can sign books personally for you. Thanks again for listening and I hope you'll join me soon for more memories of the great man in the green jumper.